0: Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Matches Needed show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my regular co-host, Cal McFadden, and of course, joined with the fantastic Sam Lockhurst for the very first time. I've known Sam for a long, long time digitally, of have met him once out here in the States, so delighted to have him on the show. Uh, <clears throat> I've wanted to have him on for a long, long time, of course, works at the Manchester Evening News, so let me welcome him to the show. Sam, how you doing, pal, and welcome to the show. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. We'll start with the game, of course, uh, two nights ago, uh, t- a couple of days ago. <laughs> i the last track of my days. Uh, disappointing result against Southampton. You almost felt it was coming in the end. Uh, it's been a fantastic run though for United. I think it's 18 games unbeaten. I can see that the goal later on. Um, they've put themselves in a very, very good position that seemed unthinkable. I was put out a tweet earlier a couple of days ago that said, prior to that, Southampton, they were close to the bottom three before Fernandez signed them what they were, top three. Uh, it's been a terrific run but disappointing result what did you make of the game?
1: Well I thought there were telltale signs at Villa that United were starting to lag a little bit uh, up until they got the penalty which they were were quite fortunate to get, Villa were the better side and as soon as the penalty was given Villa showed why they are where they are, Uh, they they just completely crumbled and then it it was very easy for United but Southampton have been on a a very good run. They were very uh, stubborn against City, but th- this was a different side to them, I guess, and that they were very proactive from the start. But we saw that last season when they they went to Old Trafford. And I think of all the teams I saw Old Trafford last season, which is pretty much all of them, they, they were one of the most impressive sides. They are very intense. They, 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 they're kind of a Klopp-like side. If in the You've got Hassan all there, who's, who's dressed like Klopp with his tracksuit and his cap on. And there is a real intensity about them that's very difficult to play against. And I can fully understand why Solskjaer went with an unchanged side again. I suspect that given the manner of the weekend results um, at Sheffield United and Bournemouth, he probably thought... well, right, we can't have any let-up here. I've just got to play my strongest team. Perhaps he was going to make one or two changes and freshen it up. But I don't think any United fans really would have blamed him for for playing that side. But, of course, in hindsight, it was clearly a game too far. But they, they were a matter of seconds away from getting what would have been a very, very significant win for them. But it, I, I suppose for, for United, it's it's still in their hands in terms of qualifying for the Champions League. I don't think that the Cass um, ruling really changes that. They, they certainly weren't looking to stick with fifth or ever planning that fifth would be good enough in in, in the event that um, City's ban was, was upheld or, or even halved. So... They're still in a deep, They're still in pretty good form. I mean, I think this is the 18-game unbeaten run. That's The last time they did that was under Ferguson in, in his last season. So that, that shows you how much progress they have made. But in a week like this, it, it really was quite galling for them, whereby they have got three games. It's a Europa League-style week. Um, Palace have been dreadful recently, but they showed against Chelsea that they were very, very close and probably should have got a draw in that one. And it just shows you how drastically the mood can change if um, they have a bit of an iffy night at Palace and they've got a cup semi-final on Sunday against a team who've had uh, 48 hours more rest than them.
2: One of the things that that result the other night to each would normally highlight would be really the sense of wasted opportunity. But you're right in the sense that there are three games for United to go and one of those games is against Leicester who are one of their main competitors to get into the top four. How much do you think United will be doing all that they can to avoid that Leicester game becoming a a win or bust situation?
1: Oh, I think whatever they do between now and then, I I really can't envisage a situation where they go to Leicester and it's, it's boxed off. I know Leicester have got a couple of tricky games. I think they've got Sheffield United at home and Tottenham away. Um, and and United have got easier games on on paper. And I think that's been one of the things, certainly when you go to these games, that cliche about game being played on paper seems a lot more relevant now because where stadiums are completely devoid of an atmosphere, the quality in a team, um, more often than not, is is overwhelming the the inferior side. So United, by that logic, I guess, should be reasonably... Comfortable against West Ham next week. I think Palace is a bit of a different kettle of fish. In that, even though they're they're at Palace, they're they're going to have to make changes. They're going to have to freshen the team up, and it's how those players adjust to that. And it's about getting that balance right. He, he got it horribly wrong in the FA Cup game at Norwich. I think the second best thing for United after that, other than actually winning the tie was that Solskjaer realised the error of his ways in making as many changes as he did and there were certain squad players that frankly he just cannot trust anymore who I mean it was almost like a scorched earth policy that game and there were certain players that you can only ever see them start again for United against Lasklin's next month which is yeah. shaping up to be a competition winner's kind of outing in that second leg uh, but I just suspect that because there they're liable to be twists and turns that come the Leicester game next Sunday, that there will be something riding on it, and it will be a case that United need a, a positive result to to secure fourth or third.
0: We've seen this five-game unchanged lineup, which is incredibly rough. Now, one of the things that concerns me is Solskjaer will have to change the team. We can't play this team every week. He can't play this team three three times in a row this week. But it's not just the quality drop-off that concerns me. It's the fact that United can't replicate their tactics whenever they change because the players that they have on the bounce are completely different to the players that are starting in United's best 11. Mm. Uh, how concerned are you that when you know, do need to rotate? And we almost saw it the last 15 minutes against Zidane when they brought on Fred McTominay for Pogba and, and Fernandes. Very, very different players. Can't hold, can't dominate possession when they really needed to in that game. How concerned are you about the alternatives uh, Solskjaer has on the bench?
1: It's, it's a really relevant point. I, I did a piece on it uh, today, actually, and that with those substitutions, I think a lot of managers in, in Solskjaer's position would have made nine identical changes, or or if not the same changes, it, it was Sod's law for them that Shaw got injured and then his replacement got injured. And uh, in terms of the, the, the five substitution rule, of course, you have to do them in, in three uh, three batches. And United had done that already with four substitutions. So, so Bailly couldn't come on. Uh, I mean, it was quite interesting watching that because Bailly, uh was certainly called down to replace Williams and then it was almost as if one of the coaching staff members or the fourth official maybe said well you can't make any more substitutions so it, it wasn't a great look in that they weren't aware of that or it just slipped their mind but certainly the quality and the, the quality and depth United have is not as great as a lot of people think or thought it was during this winning run they had at least uh, it was it really did stagger me that people were asking the question does this team need Sancho Sancho does this team yeah. need Grealish or players of that ilk yeah because it's pretty clear that they do um, and no of course Sancho's a player who if they do sign him unfortunately for Mason Greenwood a player like Sancho does go straight into that team but I don't think that's something that uh, should be discouraging for greenwood it's just the fact that united have got a lot of players who have outstayed their welcome at the club some aren't even getting on the bench at the moment which i think um you know that that's an indication that Solskjaer is a, a bit more ruthless than than people give him credit for i think he's made some very good decisions uh, i think most of the decisions he's made in in the transfer market have been have been correct ones mm-hmm. that've been the old caveat in the Lukaku and Herrera were allowed to go last summer without being replaced and that certainly contributed to what was a very variable to say the very least um, first half of the season but they, they don't really I mean Greenwood until about three weeks ago you'd have said he's applied to bring on in games now rightly he's regarded as a first teamer but the front three Behind that first front three, which is, is a pretty formidable lineup at the moment, I think is, is James, Igalo, and Mata and unfortunately for Daniel James who I thought had an excellent first first half of the season and when you pay only £15 million for a player it's almost a free hit but he has resembled a championship player this calendar year yeah. and I think his selection was justifying itself in certain games where United would switch to a back three, he'd be part of the split strikers so he's pairing off and his pace is pulling defenders out of position but since they've abandoned that project there because they've got better players back like uh, like Paul Pogba, he's, he's suddenly not as needed. And I mean, the other night he he made a stupid foul on Bertrand right in the corner where if he'd shown a bit of know-how, United could have penned Southampton and had maybe one last attack. So as you said, they've, they've not got similar players to come into that situation. Whereas Liverpool, I know it's not happened so much this season, but Shaqiri... He's not as good as Salah, but he is a left footed player. He's he's a very diminutive uh, he's a diminutive player, he's tricky, he, he plays from the right and he can come on and do you a job. And I think with someone like Origi, the, the stars seem to have aligned for him in recent years and sometimes you luck in with that one. But United don't have those those identical players to call upon.
2: You mentioned the fact that the the lack of identical players to call on could be an issue. Do you think if Greenwood is a doubt for the weekend's game that it could be a it could be a sense of change the system to try and change things up rather than go with a Daniel James in his place?
1: I, I was I was trying to fathom that today because I, I think regardless of how how fit he is, he's probably he could probably do with a breather. He had a, an underwhelm night the other night, but that that happens with eighteen year olds. It's nothing to. To write home about at all. We saw it with Ronaldo. Um, people older than me who can remember gigs at that age saw it with gigs etc etc. Um, but of course as you the point you raise is that who, who the hell actually comes in there because United for years and years and years have been useless at signing right wingers or having a right winger in that position and I think when certainly we were on tour this time last year in Australia as soon as we saw Daniel James it was very very clear that even though he was a right-footed winger, the right wing wing was not his forte. He was much more comfortable playing from the left. And that was apparent again in the Tottenham game last month where he was always going to start that game purely because uh, Pogba wasn't fit enough. Uh, It it wasn't the kind of game to throw Greenwood in from the start. He's been eased in and Solskjaer's managed Greenwood very well during this four-week period or so. But with James, he's not... It, his form has just not been good enough really to bring him into a must win Premier League game. And I, I mean, the, the way I was trying to look at it, maybe you bring a Galo in and the way Rashford and Marshall are now with those two fluid forwards there, they they are interchanging a lot more seamlessly. They've, they've, they're a bit more polished in terms of their movement. Solskjaer was speaking earlier this week or last week about, them not always occupying the left-hand channel he said that they were trying to drum that out of them because where they've played on the left so often United would become a little bit too lopsided which I think is natural as a consequence because they have played there so often and also United haven't had someone dexterous enough to come from the right-hand side but Those two players in Marshall and Rashford seem a lot more refined now, and of course they're they're scoring a lot of goals. So you could just about make an allowance there um, to accommodate someone who's just an outright centre-forward like Igalo. But there is still an element of risk about it because you are changing what has been uh, a winning attack in Dryden up until the Southampton game.
0: Now, when his outbreak first happened, this pandemic first happened, Solskjaer was talking about exploiting the market and exploiting the vulnerabilities in the market. He's certainly been uh, very different in his tune of late, talking about we don't know how much money we're going to have available. We almost need to know where we're going to finish to know what we can do this summer. Uh, How optimistic are you that you need to go out and send a and Sancho and a couple of others this summer?
1: it's it's the million dollar question at the moment in the certainly during the period of lockdown there were there was a lot of transfer info that was kind of like floating about in the ether if you like and and what they were doing what they were trying to do it soon became quite apparent to them that they had to just, you know, put everything on ice because nobody knew when the season was going to restart. Nobody knew when next season was going to restart, or where the tr- when the transfer window was going to actually open, which we've only discovered today is going to be, uh, I think, a week on Monday, the twenty seventh of July. So when the for for example, when the Harry Kane two hundred million pound story came out, um, I mean, United tried to say what Woodward said wasn't a direct reference to that, but it was pretty clear when he came out with those comments um, that were distributed about um, some reports, not reflecting the the realism of the current marketplace or, or the, the economic realities of it. It was very much centered on Harry Kane and 200 million pounds. Now they were never, ever, ever going to spend that money on that kind of player. Um, I mean, there's, there's a long-standing interest in Kane, but they've kind of opened the floodgates there with the whole 804 right back, um, 100 mile long list that they drew up last year and then of course they just settled on the most obvious choice in in Wan-Bissaka who's been an excellent signing but it's almost as if that if you've got a pulse and you're a, a top flight footballer in one of the major leagues there is a chance that you've beat on United's radar. So whoever you are, the chances are they've sent a scout to watch this player, or they've shown an interest in this player. But it's it's really when it gets to January or February when they they've got their shortlist and they've whiffed it down to players who they are actively interested in actually signing. And in the case of Grealish, there was there was an attempt to at least execute or put the framework in place to do a deal with Villa at the end of the season in February, of course. When the pandemic hit, that that just hit the skids on it, um, and they had to abandon it. Not not abandon it completely. It's something that may they might revisit. But in terms of players like Grealish and Madison, at the time United looked at it and thought, well, Leicester could finish above us. In fact, they were likely to finish above United at the time. It's changed an awful lot since then, and they just thought Madison's going to be far too much expensive. Whereas Grealish could go down with Villa. They spent an awful lot of money last year. They flirted with financial disaster, the, the rumblings of an FFP investigation against them. He could be bought at a cut price deal. And is there much difference between him and Madison? They're very similar players. So they, they do pride themselves on being a lot more prepared now. And I know that sounds you know, sounds a bit rich because they have been extremely haphazard in, in recent years, as, as recently as two years ago um, with, with the search or the the failure to sign centre-back but the way they go about it is that they have a meeting in September they identify the positions come January they like to have a short list of targets and then they go out and try and execute the deals and it's always a case of the sooner the better but it never quite works out that way because look what happened with um, the Harry Maguire deal last year it was quite clear that there was an element of needing to have the guaranteed income Uh, of a Lukaku deal there with Inter Milan, which was dragging on and on through pre-season. So, I mean, for United, unfortunately for them, because they're not certainties to qualify for the Champions League anymore, that does have a major impact in that, They've already lost £28 million pounds, uh, from the pandemic in, in in the results that were announced in May. So they'll have lost a lot more because there's not been any gate revenue. I think they make around about four four and a quarter million pounds from your average Premier League match day at Old Trafford. If they don't qualify for the Champions League, the Adidas contract takes a right. hit. I think they, there's there's a 30% reduction. So the, the, the overall budget does take a major hit. And Solskjaer did say in January that the Fernandes deal would have an impact on their summer budget as well. They've invested a hell of a lot of money under Solskjaer already, I think well over £200 million if you were to add up all the add-ons. So I think at this stage, even though it's not ideal because I think there are three or four positions they need filling, if they were to just end the summer with finishing the Champions League and signing Sancho, a lot of fans would be pretty happy with it, even though it's not necessarily enough of a enough activity to take them to that level where they are going to be credible title challengers to to sit in Liverpool but it's a step in the right direction and the likelihood is that they're going to retain Pogba at least until next year. Yeah. I do think there is a way that they can go about it in strengthening the squad sufficiently where they can support Sancho support the rest of the squad. There are certain players that they need to sell that they can yeah. generate income from them. Um, but it, I mean, in terms of like the centre half, for instance, there's no way in a single summer transfer window and one that's only going to be 70 days, I think, um, for, for, for the Premier League clubs that they will sign someone like Jaden Sancho and someone like, for example, Kula Koulibaly, who Solskjaer yeah. does regard as one of the best centre-backs in the world, as most people do, because it's just, it, it does ignore the economic realities of it. They've spent a hell of a lot of money already and they are going to make losses. There are going to be losses from from the pandemic. The workaround from that is that they, they try and offload a couple of centre-backs. There are three there that they need to get rid of or would like to get rid of in Smalling, Jones and Rojo. Smalling seems eminently sellable because he'd like to stay in Rome permanently. Roma would like to sign him. Rojo is very difficult to shift because he's a bad professional. He's a, a lot of the time, he's a bad player. Jones is another one. He's become an absolutely irrelevant. Um, so even though it would be a dream scenario if United to get rid of them, it's very difficult to. But if they can get one out on loan and they sell Smalling... You look at some of the players in the Premier League, some of the defenders who can be backup defenders, but good enough backup defenders to put pressure on Lindelof and Maguire, someone like Ake, someone like, as left field as it sounds, Johnny Evans or James Tarkovsky, these lower level, if you like, Premier League defenders who are dependable squad players. That's probably the workaround until next summer where you go out and you prioritise uh, an elite centre back if Maguire and uh, Lindelof still aren't cutting it as a partnership. But certainly going into the transfer window, when the world was back when the world was normal, it was United were looking at a playmaker, a forward, a midfielder. The midfield plans could easily be part now because it looks like Pogba will be staying. And with Jude Bellingham, I know he's obviously going to go to Dortmund, but it's not like that's a massive loss. It's not like when Ronaldinho chose to join Barcelona in 2003 that it had a seismic impact on United's plans. He's, he's, He's a young kid who... Um, would have certainly been cutting his teeth in that first season if he had actually gone to what, United.
0: What about Diego Alcantara? Because there's some rumours this morning about him. Is there anything concrete in that Sam?
1: I've not heard anything on it. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that um, it, it won't happen at all. I think the interesting thing that sometimes, and this was the irony with with Fernandes as well, in that sometimes, in fact, often it's the case that United will be used as a plant, as a bargaining chip to smoke out an actual bidder, um, this has worked with Liverpool before, with uh, Roberto Firmino and Christian Benteke in 2015, whereby I think Tim Sherwood briefed um, a journalist, uh, a journalist in the Midlands that United were about to sign Benteke, and it made the back page um, of this newspaper, national newspaper in the UK. United were never going to, but when when the Aston Villa manager tips you off um, you're duty bound to write it you've you've got to take them at face value and all it succeeded in doing was Villa getting the money they wanted for Benteke from Liverpool who saw this story and thought oh goodness me United are going to sign him and they gave Villa what what they wanted for Benteke uh, I think Hoffenheim used or fabricated United's interest in Firmino to um, to get Liverpool to to sign Firmino as well so it it happens a hell of a lot whereby United are just used uh, as as a pawn, if you like, to get someone to uh, to, to sign this player. And, and in the case of Tiago, it's clear that Bayern Munich um, Bayern Munich do want to sell him, or he's certainly available uh, to be sold this summer. And I guess, and this this is just what they might be thinking. They might think, well, United were really hot for him in two thousand thirteen in terms of English clubs. And United always tend to have a bit of money to spend and Thiago is one of those players who you know, a lot of United fans would like to see. If we put their name out there, maybe Liverpool will actually go for him now because they were very reluctant to go for Werner and look what happened there, he's going to end up at Chelsea. Um, if United do go for Werner, then it would be interesting and obviously build a, a briefed very well by Bayern Munich and and Borussia Dortmund. They have they have good ins with those clubs, but it still wouldn't surprise me if it was one of those um, ploys by a, a club on the continent just to use United to to smoke out an actual bidder.
2: In terms of other outgoing, Sam. How does the future look for the likes of Jesse Lingard and Andres Pereira? And as a second part to that question. Is there any chance at all that Alexis Sanchez could be playing for United next season?
1: I suppose there's always a slim chance. Uh I think the I mean a colleague did a piece today that was um not, not mis- mischievous as such but he said that it, you know Sanchez was pretty much giving United what they want at the moment and that was that he was actually playing well so he was driving his resale value up. Um I mean I, I I have absolutely no idea which club out there would take a punt on Sanchez in terms of signing him and giving him the wages he's on at the moment. I don't really think he can get those wages anywhere else if he really wants to have a clean break from United he's, he's gonna have to take a cut I think he's on 400 grand a week net at United which is an obscene amount of money but at the time it, it, it was rightly held as a coup unfortunately for United they didn't know him as well as someone like Arsene Wenger did who uh, was, was pretty certain I was told um, at, at the time that, that Sanchez was pretty much past it and I know that deal didn't really Arsenal didn't cover themselves in glory either because they got Mkhitaryan in um, in exchange. But I suppose with Sanchez, the best case scenario at the moment is, especially in a pandemic year as well, this always has to be factored into it, is that he'll be loaned out again and a team will will pay the chunk of his wages. I mean, Inter have not sounded receptive at all to to signing him permanently. There's not. Um, there's not a buy uh, a set fee for for Inter to buy him. I think United said they did that at the time in the hope that he would play to a level that it would outgrow uh, his resale value or his resale value would be particularly high, but. I think he turns 32 this year. He's had another season where he's been very injury prone. Um, I, I know he's been doing recently well in, in Serie A, but this is a guy who, up until recently, I don't know if he's completed 90 minutes for Inter in Serie A, but it, he hadn't completed 90 minutes in the league game since the opening day in, in 2018. In terms of Lingard, I think when you when you, when you you form an alliance out of the blue with Mina Raiola, it's pretty clear what's what's going to happen sooner or later. Uh, he's out of contract next year. There's there's no way he's going to get a new contract just yet um, or, or at all because, he's one, he's not playing at the moment. His form since the World Cup has been, for, for the large part, pretty woeful and he's had a number of issues uh, obviously with the holiday video last year which was something that dominated the start of United's pre-season tour that Solskjaer took a dim view of Um, I mean the word he used when we had to sit down with him in Perth last year was discipline and that was a specific reference to to Lingard's transgression and I suppose whereas previously Lingard and Rashford um, you know that Whenever there's a match, whenever they're arriving at a ground, they're always together. It's almost as if they they couldn't do one can do without the other. Well, Rashford has shown that he's he's not he's not bound by Lingard or anything like that. He's he is his own man in that sense. So I think they've if if a team again come in with a good offer, I I don't think they'll be standing in his way. You can't you can't stand in the way of someone who is not even making the matchday squad at the moment. Pereira, I think, is a bit more complex in that. He serves a purpose as a squad player, as a filler player. I remember before the the season restarted, looking at what United's strongest twenty-man squad would be, and you could certainly nail down nineteen of the names. The twentieth man, if you like, you just thought at the time it would be Lingard or Pereira, i.e., someone making up the numbers. And Kelson Priest, when these squads have come out every week. Uh, I think Lingard was a, in the squad at Tottenham. Then he was he, he was ill for the Sheffield United game, so Pereira came back in, and Pereira stayed back in the league squads because Lingard had a stinker at Norwich City. So I think Pereira might just cling on. Um, he's he's bought property in in Manchester this year. His partner gave gave birth a few months ago as well. He's I mean he's been living in Manchester for a long time now. I think eight years, which is is pretty crazy. So. He's on a longer contract than Lingard as well. So I can see him maybe clinging on for another year, but I'd be amazed if he you know, somehow turned his United career around to the point that you know, this time next year, we're talking about a valuable squad player who deserves their place at the club.
0: So i the manager done quite well recently. been uh, shown great form, but it's a bit odd to give a three-year contract to someone who's 31 years you know, they've never done that. Uh, don't, haven't done that in a long, long time. Usually at the most, you'll get a two-year contract. What was the thinking behind giving him a three-year deal? From United's point of view,
1: it was that they triggered his extension, so he was he was contracted until twenty twenty-one, and this was just a two-year extension of that. Um, the, the reality was it was that it was a three-year contract and Matic and his his agent had, had played a blinder and that they've um, they got an improved deal over a period of three years so th- there are two ways of, of playing it or, or looking at it but it, it was a surprise and the, the, that it was three years frankly that it just kind of over over this period I think when when I heard that he was in When the club told me that he was was in talks about a new deal, I thought, well, that's going to have to be a two-year and a plus one because that is the common practice with Fellaini, with Juan Mata. Uh, Mata was was only being offered one a one-year minimum contract last year until the eleventh hour, and they thought they United effectively just yielded, offered him a two-year minimum deal with the plus one, and he accepted that. Uh, So it is a surprise. I mean, I guess uh, the way he's playing at the moment, if down the line they find a replacement and they're in a position where they feel as though they're comfortable enough to sell him, his his resale value is protected. But that is somewhat undermined by the fact that he turns 32 next month. And again, as as well as he has played this calendar year, and he, he has played really well, really since he came on the second half of the first leg of the League Cup, semi-final with City where it's pretty much a one-man fire brigade uh, putting out the fires after that awful first half that United had that there are going to be times coming up where you can see you you look at that Chelsea game and you think what, what do United do there do they do they risk just isolating Matic against all that potential pace that Chelsea have in their attacking ranks, um, come the Europa League latter stages, come the Leicester game as well. If if Madison is fit again, if, if Harvey Barnes, Jamie Vardy, um, all those players are are up are coming up against United. Do, do you isolate Matic? Do you do you bring Pogba back in? It's it's a difficult question to to answer, but he is their their only outright specialist uh, defensive midfielder. So I, I suspect the fact that that they're their plans, or certainly their their interests in the midfielder this this year, has has cooled somewhat. Certainly of a of a defensive minded variety, uh, and and that has has led to them maybe just adding an extra year on Smash's contract. But the consensus in the club is that he probably won't see it out.
2: I've got to ask you about the centre-half partnerships we talked earlier about. United's ability to to potentially recruit a centre-half this summer would be dependent on outgoings because there's so many centre-halves at the club. However, do you believe that Solskjaer has faith in Lindelof and Maguire to be the partnership that can get him and United where he wants to get the club going?
1: I think he wants to have faith in them. There've been a lot of games this season where Lindelof could easily have been dropped and it's almost as if there's been some Scandinavian solidarity there and for, for me personally it's it's peculiar because I mean I I don't I don't where my notification settings are so tight now I don't see probably 95% of the things that tweet at me on a on a daily basis if if that Um, but the Scandinavian supporters actually are articulate and courteous enough to email me and and complain about what I've said about Lindelof or how I've rated Lindelof. So there's a very loyal following out there with him, but I I do just think that this season there have been signs of of regression and he has got, certainly he did get a little bit complacent after he got the contract and the, the way his team played that I thought United were very naive to have caved in that suddenly this very uh, suspect interest from Barcelona was plucked out of thin air by his agent was taken to Matt judge. Matt judge immediately decided to negotiate a new contract when I think if you had a director of football in place, I mean that's that's a topic for a whole other day, it's something that doesn't get talked about anymore. But if you had a director of football there, they'd have surely said, well, he's got two years left on his contract and a plus one. So he's effectively got three years. He needs to earn a new contract rather than just having one good season. And by the way, that one good season was our worst defensive top flight season in 40 years. So I don't know why we should be you know, moving heaven enough to give him a new contract. So I can understand why his agent looked pleased at punch in the the press room at Carrington after they they signed those papers. But there are justifiable concerns about that partnership. I don't think, and I've never thought really, that Maguire's had a particularly sterling season. I think defensively, his best performance might have been his debut against Chelsea. And it's almost as if this recent unbeaten run where they've kept, I think it's 12 clean sheets in the last 18, it's... It's been such a misleading stat because De Gea is clearly not the goalkeeper he used to be. Maguire has been culpable for some really wretched goals in, in recent weeks in particular. But Maguire has also scored some pretty important goals this season. I mean, it's strange to think of it, but his his opener at Tranmere in an absolute um, doddle of a game, winning 6-0, that was the start of United's unbeaten run. And we were all going to Prenton Park that day wondering... Is, is there an upset here? Could could the worst thing uh, happen? And since then he scored important goals against Chelsea and Norwich as well. I, I think Maguire is a, is a centre-half of merit. Um, I, I suspect that, not suspect, I think he was probably made captain a bit too quickly but Solskjaer didn't really have many options there and Maguire's his signing. He is a vocal figure and he, he's certainly got leadership uh, qualities as well. But in terms of going ahead, trying to be a credible title-challenging force. You look at City, I think when Laporte is is fully fit and playing, he's a world-class centre-back. Liverpool have got Van Dijk, who's a world-class centre-back. Both teams, their goalkeepers. I think you both say Edison and Alisson are world-class. United do not have a world-class centre-back, and they don't have a world-class goalkeeper anymore. And sometimes the difference can be... It can just boil down to that. If if Liverpool hadn't signed um hadn't signed Van Dyke or Allison, they wouldn't have won the league. Correct. So they have got to I, I certainly think maybe not this summer because the priority is gonna be someone like Sanjo, but come next summer, United really do need to look at the centre half issue again.
0: It's interesting why we've been talking here. Christian Falk has tweeted that <clears throat> Bruce Dortmund are expecting a €120 million Euro offer from Manchester United. And I think what he's trying to say, assuming they qualify for the Champions League. I want to ask you one quick question, Sam, before you go. You mentioned earlier in the podcast about Jude Bellingham and how it won't be a huge loss to United. But the fact remains if you're not going to sign high end Galacticos anymore, that you know, never really did, but then you have to get the best young players. This is a player they targeted. And it's the second young player they've targeted that they've lost to Bruce Dortmund. I spoke to Harry Rednip about him. Uh, He told me he's expecting to be a £100 million player within two years. Um, So the the, the United need, we talked about this, young players, they need alternatives throughout the squad that are improvement on what they've got. If they're going to keep missing out on these players, then you would have to imagine a, that's a, that, that's a serious concern because United need the squad numbers but does it also re- indicate that United are now looking at these young players before they reach their peak, before they reach that 19, 20, 21 year old where they have peak value? Are they starting to look at that 16, 17, 18 year old market once again? It, it's certainly galling for them that two the exceptional young players
1: have ended up at a place like Dortmund and, and the irony of that is that I think Dortmund is is one of the german cities with the oldest population so these players who are going to dortmund at a young age that they're not going there for the long term and dortmund are lucid to that as well i think they know that they're becoming a halfway house for these uh, for these prodigies i mean you can see Haaland leaving next summer very easily just like only lasting 18 months there Uh, Bellingham, it might be a little bit longer, but I suppose where Dortmund have done such a great job with Sancho, that is going to appeal massively to someone like Jude Bellingham, who you can imagine idolises Sancho.
0: Um,
1: He's he's seen what Dortmund are doing in terms of the team they're assembling, and they are a vibrant side. They've made they bought very well in the summer. They, I mean, they ran. Bayern Munich relatively close I guess as close as you can um, in in what is a a monopoly of a league in in the Bundesliga but on on the whole British thing I mean last year I I was quite suspicious of it and that United suddenly had this hankering for British players when they hadn't really they talked about a tradition of signing British players, but when you talk about that, you're thinking, well, are you going back to the days of, of Brian Robson and Gary Burtles or British and Irish players to back mm-hmm. to Roy Keane into it? But that just seemed like a convenient excuse last year. Ie, we have not got Champions League football, so these top players out there, these, um, these these marquee names, we're not going to attract. It's a different case if you're signing a right back from Crystal Palace, uh, a winger from Swansea, and a centre half from Leicester. They're players who, uh, if uh, if they stay at those clubs, would be success starved. And they're never going to play European football. Um, it's maybe not with Leicester necessarily, but the, the chances of success aren't that great. Going to United is a no-brainer, which is why with someone like Jack Grealish, whether United are in the Europa League next season or the Champions League, he does not care. He just wants to play for Man United because it's a massive step up. It's a massive payday. It's a gateway to getting into the England squad. It's a gateway to the Champions League and winning things. It's, it's an easy sell it's not an easy sell if it's someone like Jaden Sancho, who is already playing in the Champions League, is already in England international. And certainly this time last year, or even before then, I mean, the, the chances of getting Sancho just went last year when they failed to qualify for the Champions League. Um, Dortmund could have... I think if Dortmund had held their nerve and United would bidding be been for him, they could have got €150 million. Euros. His, his stock was that high last year. It's easier for United this year because... Um, Sadly for everyone, there's been a pandemic, so that's driven prices down. And secondly, he's entered uh, the last two years of his contract, and he's got to the point now where he's spent, he's done his time in in Germany, and he, he told he told friends uh, I, I wrote previously, he told friends at, at City that he always like. Like the idea of coming back to Manchester one day, um, United did try and sign him in 2017. They weren't the only uh, Premier League club. I think Tottenham were also very interested, but City just would not countenance selling him to a Premier League club. There, there were promises made to Sancho and his advisers that if he held firm at City, they could, you know, an agent or an intermediary could get him a move to United or another Premier League club. But fortunately for City, Dortmund offered them eight million. They took it and it meant that Sancho wasn't going to uh, a direct rival in the Premier League. So United are trying to, they are active at that level and there have been some other players who, I mean, great things may come of them, great things may not come of them, that they're looking at and they've brought in across Europe. They're The whole recruitment strategy at that level has become a lot more aggressive since Nicky Bart rejoined the club just over four years ago when he was the academy head. He's now the head of first team development, I think his title is, but he obviously oversaw the signings of someone like Tahith Chong and Hannibal Mejabry last year, who was a 10 million euro signing by United who was whose signing was buried in at the bottom of a paragraph in their academy intake uh, story last year which is remarkable when you think about it this is a 10 million euro signing he he probably cost more cost United more than what Dortmund paid for for Jadon Sancho two years earlier so it it is interesting that the, the, the emphasis is now switched to youth and I think that strategy has worked. Um, there are there are compromises along the way. We've seen that with Agalo where it's an opportunistic loan move. Um, I mean, th- the irony of that was that. Someone high up at United said that they wouldn't be running around the transfer transfer window desperate for a 38-year-old. And it was almost as if, and we heard, when we heard that at the time, we thought, oh, he's probably talking about Mario Mandzukic here. We never, ever envisaged that they would be running around desperately trying to sign someone from China. But with the Gala, in fairness, it's, it's worked out pretty well so far. Um, with Fernandez, uh, you know, the whole British thing, it went out the window. But it was easy with him because he was only playing for Sporting Lisbon, who have been a success starved club. I mean, the more you watch Hernandez, the more you wonder why the hell didn't anyone take a punt on him. Tottenham sent a couple of intermediaries over to Lisbon last year, but refused to pay uh, the asking price. And United have got a very good deal. So United are a lot more fluid and flexible than I think they made out last year when they had this... Hankering for British talent, and I think that was just part of the spin, uh, whereby that they weren't in the Champions League, and they just had they just had to acknowledge that their pull in the market was at it, its lowest that it had been for decades.
2: So, um, you,
0: go ahead, can I come. just one more.
2: very quickly, Sam? Um, if you were in all his shoes, would you be considering making Dean, Hendon, Dean Henderson the club's number one next season, or do you think De Gea should be given at least one more year to prove he's still up to the job?
1: I think it's worthy of consideration, but I think preserving the status quo probably makes more sense unless De Gea's form really does fall off the edge of a cliff. I think the thing I've noticed with Henderson is that when when his name is trending or there's a particular clamour for him to be Major United, number one, his focus seems to drop. And it's not a coincidence that his idol growing up was Joe Hart, who was proof that The loudest voice is not always the soundest mind. Joe Hart, for a couple of years, was a world class goalkeeper, but his gobbiness and his cockiness really did get the better of him. And there are very few goalkeepers in in this era who are as that cocksure, that talkative and and a world class. I think you've seen I mean, probably the two best goalkeepers the century in Buffon and, and Casillas. They're not exactly characters who are known for being as animated as Peter Schmeichel was. And obviously Schmeichel was just a, a unique goalkeeper in just about every way. But I do think given that I mean, it's a Euro. It's a Euros next year, which also has to be factored into it. De Gea has got competition from Oliver Balaga, although it's not looking too intense at the moment, given the way he's playing for Chelsea. Henderson has still not played for England, but if he continues on this upward curve, you would think he's got to be because Jordan Pickford is probably worse than Oliver Balaga. Balaga. Um, so for the two players concerned, it makes sense for them, for Henderson to stay out on loan. And it could be Sheffield United again. We've seen with Thibaut Courtois, he spent three years uh, in succession at Atletico Madrid. Henderson could spend three years with Sheffield United. And then it allows the two goalkeepers to go to the Euros, play for their countries. Uh, Sergio Romero has been quite sanguine about being the number two uh, with with United for a long, long time now, and I think if he was ever to have put pressure on De Gea at senior level, it would have happened by now. there've been games this season where you've looked at it and thought, "Well, maybe Romero could come in for this league game," but Solskjaer, he's been very loyal to De Gea, and I suspect he's he's had to as well because they gave him uh, that new contract in the summer. I suppose the only interesting subplot to it is that De Gea, uh, is that um, Romero recently switched agents to the Stella Group. Also, represent Dean Henderson, and from their perspective, you would think it's in their interests to move Romero on um, and and elevate Henderson to the United number one role. But what I've been told um, from people who know Henderson is that he, he is just not entertaining the prospect of going back to United unless he is made number one. And although a lot of people might say he's he's too cocky there. I can understand where he's coming from because he wants that guarantee of of playing time. And if you look at his career path going from non-league to Premier League, he's he's done it every year. He's always you know, he's always testing himself, he's always pushing himself. There's a lot to like about him, but I just think he's got to address and he's got time on his side because he is only 23. He's just got to address his temperament in that he can get a little bit too big for his boots sometimes. I think there was uh, the under-21 Euros last year. He liked a tweet that said, uh, when when you've replaced David De Gea as United's number one. I mean, this is Dean Henderson liking yeah. a tweet that's taking the mick out of De Gea. And then, of course, in the next game, he drops a clang against Romania and, and England uh, are eliminated. So he's got to learn from... Um, errors like that but I think it is a matter of time until he does actually replace De Gea.
0: It's interesting I had Franz Hoke on the show a couple weeks ago who coached both of them of course and he said to me you know to stick with De Gea uh, playing for Manchester you know they've been playing for Sheffield you know they're two completely different things and uh, he felt that De Gea was still ahead of him so uh, Sam it's been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time to join us and come on the show and be so generous with your time i have been wanting to do this for a long time exceptional analysis thank you so much we wish you all the best
1: Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Great to have been on. Cheers, Sam. Thank you, yeah. Bye.